Werewolf? There. What? There, wolf. There. Welcome to episode two of Their Wolf, Their Podcast. While the previous episode dealt with the very recent outing of the werewolf mythos in Marvel's Werewolf by Night, currently available on Disney+, I figured I'd go back to the beginning of werewolves, but uh, more to the beginning for myself. And again, not to the very beginning, which would be the 1941 Universal Monsters Lon Chaney Jr. The Wolfman, but back to the time when I discovered modern-day horror, when, you know, most horror fanatics discover the passion in their early teens. As for me, it was an American world from London. However, as I've stated before in episode 1 and in several episodes of my other podcast, Geeking Off the Page, American Werewolf is not only my favorite werewolf movie, but it's my favorite horror movie. So much so that my first stab at making a podcast was devoted to the John Landis written and directed horror comedy classic called Welcome to the Slaughtered Lamb, which is a movies by minute program. However, this time I'm going to chat about the second modern-day werewolf movie that was released the same year as 1981, a year that found itself with three werewolf-themed movies being released. The previous mentioned American Werewolf in London, Wolfen, which will be a subject to a future podcast, and this episode, Joe Dante's The Howling, released on March 13th. A brief Google synopsis reads, in Los Angeles, television journalist Karen White is traumatized in the course of aiding the police in their arrest of a serial killer. Her doctor recommends that she attends an isolated psychiatric retreat led by Dr. George Wagner. But while Karen is undergoing therapy, her colleague Chris investigates the bizarre circumstances surrounding her shock. When his work leads him to suspect the supernatural, he begins to fear for Karen's life. Released in the United States, again on March 13, 1981, and grossing $17.9 million at the box office, and only costing $1.5 million to make, it got generally positive reviews, with praise on the makeup special effects by Rob Botton. Also, while it was still in development, the film won the 1980 Saturn Award for Best Horror Film. The film has been noted for its semi-humorous screenplay. Gary Brandner's more straightforward novel that was first published in 1977 bears little resemblance to the final film after several drafts, including one by the original director, Jack Conrad, who left following difficulties with the studio, as well as a version by Terence H. Winkless, which didn't prove a satisfactory response from the studio. The now-director Joe Dante hires John Says to completely rewrite the script. The two of them had collaborated before on Dante's 1978 film Piranha. Zayas rewrote the script with the same self-aware satirical notes that he had given Piranha. However, Winkless still got receiving a co-writer's credit along with Zayas for his work on the screenplay. When it comes to the cast, this movie is jam-packed with great character actors. The top star being Dee Wallace as Karen White, also known for two of the biggest mother roles in the 1980s, E.T. the Extraterrestrial, and Cujo. Patrick McNee from the 60s television show The Avengers, as Dr. George Wagner. Dennis Dugan, 
who, as a director, is responsible for a bunch of Adam Sandler movies, including Happy Gilmore, as Chris Holleran. Also from Cujo is Christopher Stone as R. William Bill Neal. Belinda Blansky as Terry Fisher had roles in Gremlins and Small Soldiers, both of which were directed by Joe Dante. Kevin McCarthy, best known as the for the 1956 Invasion of the Body Snatchers and the Weird Al Yankovic UHS, and the Joe Dante-directed Interspace as Fred Francis. John Carradine, who starred in cinema classics like The Ten Commandments and The Gra Grapes of Wrath, as Ernie Kenton. Wonderful character actor Slim Pickens from Dr. Strangelove and Blazing Saddles as Sam Newfield. Toronto-born Elizabeth Brooks as Marcia Quist. Now, if you don't know who Robert Picardo as Eddie Quist is, then you probably haven't seen many of Joe Dante's movies, like Explorers, where he plays three separate roles, Gremlins 2, and Interspace, to name a few. But he's more recently known as the EMH from Star Trek Voyager. Another world soap opera star, Margie Impert as Donna. Don McLeod, who played a gorilla in both The Man with Two Brains and Trading Places as T.C. Quist. And Dick Miller, a.k.a. Mr. Futterman from the Gremlin movies as Walter Paisley. As for the actual movie itself, Karen White is a Los Angeles television news anchor who's being stalked by serial killer Eddie Quist. In cooperation with the police, she takes part in a scheme to capture Eddie by agreeing to meet him in a sleazy porn theater. Eddie forces Karen to watch a video of a young woman being bound and raped, and when Karen turns around to see Eddie, she screams. The police enter and shoot Eddie, and although Karen is safe, she suffers amnesia. Her therapist, Dr. George Wagner, decides to send her and her husband, Bill Neal, to The Colony, a secluded resort in the countryside where he sends patients for treatment. The Colony is filled with strange characters, and one, a sultry nymphomaniac named Marsha, tries to seduce Bill. When he resists her unsubtle sexual overtures, he's attacked and scratched on the arm by a werewolf while returning to his cabin. After Bill's attack, Karen summons her friend Terry Fisher to the colony, and Terry connects the resort to Eddie through a sketch that he left behind. Having previously discovered that Eddie's body disappeared from the morgue, Karen begins to suspect that Bill is hiding a secret far more threatening than marital infidelity. Later that night, Bill meets Marcia at, the, at a campfire in the woods. While having sex in the moonlight, they undergo a frightening transformation into werewolves. Now, just to put a little point into it, this is that sequence that was earlier discussed as being animated, as obviously a sort of a lack of uh, budget uh, leading to this uh, sequence being made the way it was. While investigating the next morning, Terry is attacked by a werewolf in a cabin. Though she escapes after cutting the monster's hand off with an axe, she runs into Wagner's office and places a phone call to her boyfriend, Chris Holderin, who has been alerted by the colony's true nature. While on the phone with Chris, Terry looks for files on Eddie Quist. When she finds the file in the filing cabinet, she is attacked by Eddie in werewolf form and 
is killed when she is bitten on the jugular. Chris hears this on the other end and sets off for the colony, armed with dun 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 silver bullets. So then Karen is uh, confronted by the resurrected uh, Eddie Quist uh, again, and uh, he then transforms himself into a werewolf in front of her. But her response is that she splashes Eddie in the face with uh, corrosive uh, acid and then uh, takes off. And later on, once uh, Chris arrives at the uh, colony, he's uh, confronted by uh, the, the now horribly disfigured Eddie. Um, who is uh, then fatally shot by Chris with a silver bullet <laughs> when he attempts to transform yet again. Uh, however, it turns out uh, all the people in the colony are werewolves and can shapeshift at will without the need of a full moon to do so. Karen and Chris survive their attack and uh, burn the colony to the ground as they drive away. However, one werewolf breaks into the car and bites Karen before being shot by Chris. Turning back, it's Bill. And he then dies. Then it's Karen's goal to actually warn the entire world about the existence of werewolves and begins a special worldwide broadcast. I don't understand how a simple reporter from L.A. is able to make a worldwide uh, broadcast, but I guess it's the same way that uh, they're trying to stop the uh, Lucky Shamrock people from broadcasting their uh, commercial in... Uh, Halloween 3. So anyways, um, so then uh, to prove her story, she herself transforms into a werewolf while she's broadcasting live. Uh, she's then shot by Chris in front of uh, a live viewing audience. And although the people watching the Transformer transformations on their uh, TVs uh, around the world are amused, um, believing that they just saw a stunt with special effects, which uh, I guess technically it really is. But in the reality of the world, it's obviously they're just thinking, oh, they're doing movie magic on this. That looks really cool. So um, so what we have then left is we have uh, Marsha, who escaped the colony herself, completely unscratched, oddly enough. Um, she is now sitting at a bar with a man who, while watching the special podcast announcement, orders a steak for himself and a rare hamburger for her. And after Karen's display cuts, uh, after Karen's transformation and her getting shot, it then cuts to a commercial break. And uh, that's how the movie ends. So from doing all my research for this particular movie, I found, came across a bunch of different pieces of trivia that wasn't 100% sure of where to put it into the conversation. So here's just a plethora of fun facts that I found out about this movie. There were times during shooting when Robert Picardo was very dis despondent about the hours that he had to spend in makeup. On the special edition DVD, he remarked that uh, one day after spending six and a half hours in the makeup chair, I was thinking, trained at Yale, two leading roles on Broadway, my first acting role in California, my face gets melted in a low-budget horror movie. All the crew had to say was, Bob, next time read the script all the way through first. In the scene where Terry calls Chris from Dr. Wagner's office, we see a picture of Lon Chaney Jr. on the wall. The final transformation had to be done in all close-up because the movie had extended its budget by then, and this had to be shot in Joe Dante's office because they had no money for sets anymore. 
The characters of George Wagner, Roy William Neal, Terence Fisher, Freddie Francis, Ernie C. Keaton, Sam Newfield, Charles Barton, Jerry Warren, Lou Landers, and Jacinto Malona are named after werewolf movie directors. Because of their work on this movie, Joe Dante and Michael Fennell received the opportunity to make the movie Gremlins in 1984 for Steven Spielberg. The movie references the howling with a smiley face image on the refrigerator door. Eddie Quest leaves yellow smiley face stickers as his calling card in several places throughout the film. Also, James McCrell's character as news reporter Lou Landers appears in both The Howling and Gremlins, which suggests both movies share the same universe. The Coroner tells a story about a case named Stuart Walker. Stuart Walker was the director of Werewolf in London from 1935, the first Hollywood werewolf movie of the sound era. Filmed in 28 days plus days of reshoots, the movie was notable for its special effects, which were state-of-the-art at the time. In one scene, Errol Kenton mentions UFOs and cattle mutilations. Around the time he wrote a screenplay for The Howling, John Salis was also working on a screenplay for Steven Spielberg, known as Night Skies, which involved UFOs and cattle mutilations. However, the project was dropped when Steven Spielberg chose to make E.T. the Extraterrestrial in 1982 instead. Dee Wallace and Christopher Stone were engaged in real life when shooting this horror film. This movie and Howling 4, the original Nightmare from 1988, are both based on the same novel by Gary Brander. Interestingly, Howling 4, the original Nightmare, actually represents the more faithful adaptation of the novel than this movie does. Art director Robert A. Burns had previously worked on the sets for the Texas Chainsaw Massacre in 1974. In fact, many of the grisly sets dressings for this movie were holdovers from the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, most notably the corpse in the armchair seen in Walter Paisley's bookstore. Elizabeth Brooks was to have reprised her role as Marcia Quist in The Howling 2, Your Sister is a Werewolf, in 1985. She had initially agreed to the sequel, but later backed out due to an illness. Joe Dante said makeup artist Rob Botton was a perfectionist. He spent the entire first day of the memorable transformation of actor Robert Picardo putting makeup on him to the point where they couldn't actually film anything because they had to send the crew home to avoid overtime. It also meant Picardo had to stay in his werewolf makeup overnight so Dante could finally film the scene the next morning. Dante said it was a grueling experience for him. The name of the country in which the colony is located is Lenwelly. This is also the name of Lawrence Talbot's village in The Wolfman. The stop-motion animation of the film was handled entirely by David W. Allen. Allen worked primarily as an animator for television commercials until the mid-1970s. He then proved stop-motion effects he then provided stop-motion effects for a number of science fiction and horror films, and eventually created his own production company. Roger Corman, the famed B-movie producer, who was a mentor to the movie 
direct to the movie's director Joe Dante has an uncredited role as a man waiting to use the phone box after Karen White. When Corman checks the payphone for change, this is an in-joke referencing the producer's legendary penny-pinching. I have to say, on a uh, personal level, I saw this uh, movie pretty early in my, in my uh, teens, probably within six months of seeing American Moral from London. And when it comes to the comparison between the two, I most definitely do prefer American Werewolf over The Howling. But I will admit that having seen it so early in my time of discovery of the films, it definitely deserves a place in the lexicon of horror films that I like and enjoy. Uh, Mind you, I have not revisited this particular uh, jewel for several years now. And upon uh, watching this program for... uh, this podcast, um, I decided to sit down once again and, and watch it. I can tell you that it's not one of the greatest movies made of all times. Again, because I saw it at such an early age, I do have a liking to it, but it just does not age as well as some of the other movies that I've seen that have become favorites of mine. And I, I have to admit, like, I do enjoy the look. Uh, Joe Dante's work is fantastic. I've always enjoyed a Joe Dante uh, movie, no matter what it actually is that he's worked on. This may not be one of the strongest ones of his work, but um, there's just something about it, the particular movie, because I guess it had such a restriction on its budget, or because it was a new kind of horror that was being made at the time and attempt to make something new and modern of the werewolf genre. Because like I said earlier, this is uh, one of three movies that came out this exact same year based around the legends of werewolves, which is something that at this particular version of werewolves had not been seen before. And the fact that three movies in a single year come out uh, sort of means something. But whatever it is, I just can't seem to put my finger on it. But it just doesn't seem to hold up in my mind as well as it would have if this was probably the first time I've seen it. To tell you the truth, I probably would not enjoy this movie if this was the first viewing that I've ever had of this. It basically definitely has rose-tinted glasses views of this movie because like I said, like I've said before, it was an early movie. It was an early it was a fascinating movie to watch. I mean, the don't get me wrong the transformations still look fantastic because i do know what went into making them now as i reflect back on then um seeing them for the first time was all fascinating i i had there was fantastic jump scares and all that um and the 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 wolf men sort of looking more wolf man than wolf itself like american wolf in london um the difference uh so it's uh basically um it is if you have the nostalgia for this movie it is a great movie but if you are a new viewer to this and you're a modern viewer like a now modern viewer in the year 2022 you're probably gonna think this is definitely a lesser of a movie and please don't get me wrong i love this movie this is a great movie but again it's because i have a history with this movie is the reason why i like it so that's what i got for this report on the howling by John Dante. Okay, so I want to thank you for tuning in to the latest episode of Their Wolf, Their Podcast. 
Be sure to come back uh, next full moon for the next installment. As of this particular time of editing, I am not 100% sure what that topic is going to be, but I have about 28 days to come up with the next uh, subject matter, so we'll talk to you then. This has been Their Wolf, Their Podcast, Planet Geek Production. Please be sure to subscribe, share, rate, and review. You can reach out to us on our social medias through Facebook, YouTube, and TikTok. Search for Planet Geek Productions. On Instagram and Twitter, search for Planet Geek Pod. Or send us an email at planetgeekpod at gmail.com. And until next time, beware the moon, stay off the moors, stick to the roads, and best of luck.